Well, amen. You can be seated, man. We are so thankful to have you here worshiping with us today as we celebrate, as we have gotten the opportunity to sing songs of praise to God the Father, right, for what he has done for us. I remember when we had the idea for an Easter throwback. I'm going to tell you it was one of those ideas as a pastor that did not originate with me. It was one of those ideas as a pastor that scared me just a little bit. Uh, I knew that we had been mobile before, meaning we set up and tore down every single Sunday in the old gym. Uh, we had ton, there were tons of things that were difficult about the venue. We found out there's some things that are difficult about this venue, right? I, and what I found out from this whole thing is, although we still possess the ability to be mobile, we may not be quite as mobile as we once were, all right? We got a little used to being in that permanent location, uh, but it was an exciting, exciting time. Now, when we talk about a throwback, everybody loves a throwback. Man, one of the biggest attended NFL games or watched NFL games is when they have a throwback game where the, uh, the Steelers are in their bumblebee suits, right? Or the, the Titans are dressed like the Oilers again, right? We, we love a throwback. Now, what I'll tell you about a throwback is throwbacks are relative. What I mean by that is when I say the good old days, that means something different for me than it may mean for you. Now, if you're around my age, you're going to resonate with some of these things. Some of you in this room, when I say throwback, you're going to feel like it was last week. All right. Others of you are going to think that this was when the dinosaurs were roaming. All right. So, so throwbacks are relative. But when I think of throwbacks, man, I immediately think of all the incredible memories that I made as a kid. Right. Playing, man, we had the best toys and man, we could do anything, anything with items like this. Now comes the farthest flying football in history, the Vortex. I'm John Elway. This is the Vortex. And I'm going to throw the Vortex farther than any football in history. The farthest flying football in history, Koosh Vortex. Now the Vortex Howler screams with three howling whistles. It's Koosh. Balls have evolved over time, but now comes the farthest fly. Now, this was a game changer for me. Now, I have some level of athleticism. You can't see it now. I get that. But at one point, I did. Uh, one thing that I never had was an arm. I never had an arm. I couldn't throw anybody out. They sucked me on first base, and I caught stuff. I had no range. I wasn't fast. But I didn't have an arm. This bad boy right here was the equalizer. Now, this is not the original Koosh Vortex because the most beat up of these are $50 on the internet. This is a cheap Nerf knockoff. However, the engineering is the same. That's right. John Elway, baby. Sign me up. Now... It wasn't just the guys, but my wife, when I began to tell her what we were doing, she had a suggestion of a toy that might bring back some memories for some of you ladies, like this. Have you heard about Betty's Spaghetti? Spaghetti? She's got real cool clothes. Lots of clothes. She's got real cool hair. I love her hair. I've seen her style. Have you met her friend? Have you heard about Betty's Spaghetti? Meet Betty's Spagh
from Ohio Art. Set soap separately. Oh, Betty Spaghetti. Now, I want you to know this is also not cheap, and I had to get the most ratchet uh, Betty Spaghetti doll I found in some obscure place in Arizona on a website that I have never heard of until I looked for this doll. But I got her. Now, she is continually accessorizing. See, the thing about Betty Spaghetti, she's got this hair that you can tie up beads in. It literally came with one bead. That's why there's one bead in her hair. Uh, but the possibilities were endless with this doll. This doll taught girls how to accessorize. I would argue it teaches them how to dismember. <laughs> I, I'm trying to keep hands and feet on this doll is a pain. But you could accessorize with anything that you wanted. You could completely rip her in half, kind of gruesome. But you could put a nicer skirt on. You could dress. There, she, there you go. Right? Great idea, not great execution, but the Betty Spaghetti doll. Does any girl remember the Betty Spaghetti doll as I'm holding her leg? Anybody? Okay, there are some. There's some. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand because you're afraid I'm going to call on you to do something, right? <laughs> Betty Spaghetti. Now, I will tell you this next one is a was a little bit of a phase for me. Now, I have been assured that this did not reach everybody, but you're not preaching, I am, all right? And so when I think throwback, I think of this. You want to ride the string? Yo, yo! Yo, this thing. Yo, Mega. Spin it, rock it, ride it. Want to spin the wind? Spin this. So you make a fireball with super long spin power and the yo-yo with the brain that returns automatically. Yo, yo. Want to lick the tricks that you make a radius your pick. Yo, yo. With its rock and roller bearing, it spins five times longer and faster. Walk it, flick it, trick it. Don't just yo, yo like a pro. Yo, Mega. The Omega yo-yo with the brain, radar, and fireball, each sold separately at selected toy stores. Yo, yo. Yes, sir. I'm going to tell you, in middle school, if you had a Omega Fireball, you were it. You were there. If you had a Duncan Butterfly, if you had a Omega Fireball or a Omega X-Brain, you had arrived on the social scene. And y'all, I might have been more excited about this than any other thing that I picked up. But check this out. You can walk the dog, right? Yeah, yeah. I still remember. I know what you're thinking. Impressed, aren't you? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, I hope you're still clapping at the end of the message. But then you've got the iconic. See, I knew I would mess up at least once. Hang on, let me readjust. It's embarrassing. I'm in the moment and I messed up. Okay, hang on. You can rock the baby in the cradle, right? Yeah, yeah. Y'all, it's amazing how much muscle memory comes back when you start doing this. And this is my personal favorite, and I need some room for this. My wife is telling me what I need to do, which I'm about to show you. All right, here we go. The flying saucer. Yeah. Hey, your husband's the one that taught me how to do it. My grandfather, for hours we sat in the living room and we learned the art of yo. We watched a VHS tape and everything showing us how to do it. But it wasn't just activities. It wasn't just the fun toys we had to play with. There were some other things that were pretty iconic in my day. Man, we would get done playing with these things, and it left us with an appetite. So we'd come in, and we had one of these bad boys waiting on us, a Dunkaroo. Now, 
This is one of the many things that are circling back that I am proud to say is circling back. But is there anybody that is younger than me that would like to try a Dunkaroo? All right, here you go, Hadley. Come on up. This is basically birthday cake frosting and little cookies. You enjoy that because let me tell you, that tastes like my childhood. I loved Dunkaroos, right? And this was actually the cheapest thing that I was able to find. So you had one. My son's had one, and I don't know why he's wanting another one. Because it's delicious, right? Dunkaroos. There were others. Man, if I had a nickel for every time I spent a night watching my dad play softball in Fayetteville, Tennessee, church league softball, and having one of these in my hand. The massive, the giant Laffy Taffy cherry, but you can find these still. What is hard to find, like they're in like a warehouse, some sketch warehouse way somewhere that I found is cherry with the sparkles. Anybody? Anybody? Cherry with the sparkle, big Laffy Taffy. Okay, I got some names. I got some hands. Anybody? Anybody? You remember this growing up? Man, I remember by, by the end of this Laffy Taffy, I would have dirt rings where my fingerprint had, uh, had stayed, and I'd been playing at the ball field, right, muddy and dirty. I'll never forget this. Is Lulu Campbell in this room? Who would like to try my giant Laffy Taffy? Come on up, Sophia. Giant Laffy Taffy. Man, I loved this candy. We had 10 of them, so we distributed them to all my friend group and to my kids. It was a lot of fun. And the last one, probably the most iconic, also been around the longest. Everybody likes a stick of gum, right? Well, there was a specific type of gum, gum when you were my age that you were all about. Fruit stripe gum. All right, now we're getting some amens. I like it. Fruit stripe gum, the magical gum that you could eat the wrapper. Did y'all know that? You could eat the wrapper of this gum. It is edible, right? It came with stripes. It came with jokes. It came with tattoos, right? This is the gum that keeps on giving. Last all of 13 seconds when you chew it, right? But it was, mag- it was the most magical 13 seconds of your entire life. But here's the thing. We don't remember this as fruit stripe gum. What do you remember it as? Zebra gum. Mom and dad, please, can I have some zebra gum? Please let me get some zebra gum, mom and dad. Right? Zebra gum. Right, man, when, we think, when I think throwback, I think of these things, man. And so I'm excited to share with you today when we, when we talk about throwback, man, we're immediately drawn to the power that, of nostalgia, right? The power of a throwback is the nostalgia that it creates in our mind, right? We're immediately taken away from where we are today and we are taken back in time. We remember simpler times, times when we didn't have to adult, right? Times without kids and we didn't know how good we had it, right? Without mortgages, without things like that. Easier times, those were the good old days. Right, you probably heard people say the good old days. Nostalgia is particularly appealing when we begin to look at the world around us and begin to balk at what we see. Nostalgia is particularly appealing when we look at a world that's completely in unrest. A world that is completely without peace. We think of the peace that is found in the goodness of dunking a Dunkaroo and slamming it down with an RC Cola. And that's where we want to go back to because this day and age is 
crazy. We want to go back. We want to go to simpler, easier times. Because there's a relationship between the desire to look back and a fear of what is ahead. And y'all, as a dad of three, I have struggled to think of the world that my kids will grow up in. But I want you to know that God's plan for your life is not looking back and trying to live the days of old. No, what we'll find today is that the big story of Scripture shows us that the answer to the brokenness of the world today is not found in looking, longing for the past, but an incredible hope in the future. An incredible hope that transcends anything that we in our in, in our finitude, in our, uh, in our small capacity brains that can only see the step that we are on, simply do not possess the ability to see. We have a hope that transcends this life. And we'll find that the grand narrative of Scripture lays out that there is hope for the people of God. And so turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And while you do that, I just want to Say a quick word of prayer. Father, as we draw into your word, God, it is living and it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray that you would divide truth today, that you would speak and you would eliminate this vessel that's in front. God, I pray that you would communicate right to the hearts of your people. Lord, we above all others, are a people of hope because our hope is found in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So when we look at the grand narrative of Scripture, we've got to go to the very beginning. In the beginning, we see Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Follow along with me as we read. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and, it ate, and she ate. Now, we know what's going on here, right? This is Adam and Eve in the garden. God has said, here's your entire garden. Eat in every tree. Eat of every tree. Don't eat of this tree. This is is the story of Adam and Eve going to that tree and eating of the fruit. The very thing that God had prohibited, they partook in. And so she took of its fruit and she ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There are 1,189 chapters in my and your Bible. 1,189 chapters in the 66th book that make up the Bible that we read and we recognize as the canon of Scripture. Y'all, it took all of three for us to completely blow it. 
Not a hundred, not fifteen, not nine. By nine, actually, people were so evil, they were only thinking about evil continuously. Everyone was. That's what he said in Noah's day. Three chapters. And we had completely made a mess of the perfection that God created. And something even more humbling, we weren't even there for most of the first chapter. We weren't even there. We were the last thing he made. And we blew it. We completely lost our mind. And what we see, look at their response. When they ate of the fruit, what was the immediate response of Adam and Eve? When God showed up. Instead of running to him as they had before, when, Jesus, when God would come and walk with them as a friend in the cool of the day, right? didn't even want them to get scorched by the sun, so he would walk in the afternoons where we would go out on our front porches. God would walk with them, commune with them, have unity and relationship with them. And immediately, what was their response? We got to get out of here. We got to do whatever we got to do to get away from a holy God. This was as much an emotional response as it was a necessary response. We have to get away from a holy God because we recognize that we are in trouble. I'm talking about in trouble in a heartbeat. I'm talking about with three kids, right? We're always late to the movies. When you walk, if you walk in five minutes or five minutes late to the story of the Bible, man, you've missed it all. You might as well go home. Man would separate themselves from God. And y'all, that separation exists even to this day. See, in the very beginning is the story of the separation of God from man as a result of their sin. And so God lays out the consequences. As the consequences of their sin and separation, God begins detailing the reality of their circumstances. He begins to tell them of a curse that is now upon them, but not just upon them. It's a curse that its effects are all-encompassing. Man is cursed. Woman is cursed. The animal kingdom is cursed. All that would grow from the earth is cursed. By extension, all of God's perfect created order would be thrown in a tailspin. The result of the curse would stretch far and wide and everyone and everything would be affected. This is known in scripture. Genesis 3 is known as the record of the fall. The definite article fall, right? This isn't a, just a fall. This is the fall. This is when man chose, instead of trusting a holy, good, loving God, they chose to be God. To attempt to be God, to call what is truth for their own lives, and they blew it. And all of creation would experience the weight of the curse. Say curse. The curse of the world began Genesis chapter 3. But even in the pronouncement of the curse, even as, Jesus, as God was laying out the ramifications of their, of their actions, we have one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture we find in the, in the entire Bible. 
This is known as the first gospel. This is the first time that the salvation plan for man and creation is mentioned in the Bible. We find it in Genesis chapter 3 beginning in verse 15. In pronouncing the judgment to the snake, to the serpent, listen what he says in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring. What is the offspring of snakes? Little snakes, right? Future snakes. Between your offspring and her offspring. In lineage, we don't see women communicated very often unless it's strategic in Scripture because the offspring is passed through the male. And so... Some man would begat some son who would begat another son who would begat another son. And it was passed from man to man. But this offspring would be unique from every other offspring because it would not be the offspring of man. It would be the offspring of woman. The only person to meet the criteria of being the offspring of woman and not the offspring of man was Jesus Christ. This is the first mention of the gospel. And so what would happen? What would happen in this epic battle between the hatred between the serpent and the seed of woman? He shall bruise your head, serpent. You will be crushed. You will be destroyed. If you want to kill a snake, you go after the head. And so he would crush the head of the serpent and you will bruise his heel. You will injure this man, this offspring of woman. You will injure him. It will not be a fatal blow. It will not be an eternally lasting blow, but you will injure, you will hurt the man, but he will crush your head. And so, in the middle of all of the pain of Genesis 3, there was a spark of hope. And while sin was passed down from Adam to Cain and Abel, on down the line to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses, to David eventually, as sin was passed down, for God's people, something else was passed down. It was hope. Hope that one day, in spite of man's failure to achieve salvation for themselves, God would provide hope for them. And so, in your notes, hope came from God, not man. Man had blown it. Three chapters in, two and a couple verses, two chapters and a couple verses, man had blown it. But then passed down with sin was the message of hope that someone would come and he would right all wrongs. He would restore the fellowship and provide salvation for his people. God would renew his covenant with all of these, all of this in the lineage. You could say that hoping in the Messiah was the family business of this family. It was the part of the family business to hope in Messiah. They built a whole ideology, a whole religion 
around the hope that one day the Messiah would come. Not as a result of what they'd done, but as a result of the free gift of God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11. And I am spanning gap as if we are not crossing millennia of time. But listen to how the writer of Hebrews details these men. These all died in faith, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. These people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah, these people were different from the rest of the world. They weren't looking back. Listen to what it says. They were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, if they had been thinking of the earth, then they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is... A heavenly one. The nature of sin is to create in us a desire to look back. A desire to be unhappy with our circumstances and find escape in the way things used to be. We've discussed a rear or backward facing nostalgia. But what is unique of God's people, the people of God, is that they do not have a rear-facing nostalgia. In fact, they have a forward-facing nostalgia. Alan, what do you mean? While the world looks back and longs to return to past experience, we as the church, as God's people, eagerly anticipate something we have never experienced before. How can we be nostalgic for something we've never done? For something we've never experienced? I can't make sense of it, but I know that that is the reality of my life. My hope is not found here. It's not found in yesterday. My hope is found in a God who transcends tomorrow. We find our hope in what is to come. While the world longs for a place that is familiar, we long for a place that is holy unfamiliar, that is alien, that is, as scripture defines it, the far country. We don't know it. We haven't experienced, but oh, we long for it. And it is that hope that inspires the people of God to move. So hope came from God, not man. Right, But what does that mean for us in the here and now? For us to have a forward-facing nostalgia. These men believed and they looked for a homeland. We see it in the beginning, but we see it in the here and now as well. What does it mean for us? Well, we don't have to wait for a Messiah. All of those Old Testament prophets, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. But the snake crusher? has a name, and that name is Jesus. And it would inspire Luke to say that there is no other name 
under heaven given to men by which we might be saved. What is he talking about? He's talking about a hope that transcends circumstances and failure. Hope that transcends the mistakes of yesterday and today. And so here and now there are ramifications to the hope that we can have in Christ. Galatians 4.4 tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. We don't await a Messiah. There are some on this earth that await the coming of the Messiah. That are not convinced because the Messiah didn't come in the wrapper they intended and they wanted. They rejected him. But we don't await a Messiah. We live in light of him. We have faith that is grounded in the fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is grounded everything we do similar to in the same way that hope is not from Man, it's from God. We recognize that salvation is not our own. It is the Lord's and we borrow that victory, right? We are a part of that. We are welcomed in. Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verse 17. For if because of man's, because of one man's trespass, who is this? Not a rhetorical question. Adam. Right? One man's trespass, the sin of Adam, the sin of the fall, three chapters in, remember? Death reigned through that one. The curse is the curse of death. It's separation from God. Romans, Paul would say to the church of Rome, the wages of sin is death. This is the curse. It's eternal separation from God. We're not talking about hiding behind bushes, hiding nakedness behind bushes. We're talking about hiding forever. We're talking about eternal separation. We sing about it. The chasm was far too wide. We could never reach God. So God came down to us. For one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. But much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift. What's a gift? It's not something we earn. It's something that is given. It's not from us, but it is for us. Bless God. That the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. In Adam, all of us die. He set that tone. And don't think that we would have responded any different. It is the human condition. In Adam, we all die. Not exactly a pep talk. But in Christ. There is life. Those under the curse of Adam will be separated from God for eternity. And those that have received the gift of forgiveness would have everlasting life. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, 
One act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Christ did not come to condemn the world. The world believes the church has the message of condemnation. No, according to John 3, 17, now we memorize John 3, 16, but God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The condition of the world is not condemnation in light of Christ. It's condemnation apart from Christ. We were condemned already because of the sin that we were born in. It's our human condition. And so Christ came to reverse the curse. Because of his death, life is offered to us. He didn't just cover sin. The record of the Old Testament is a covering of sin. The word is atonement. But what Jesus did for us is unique. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, because of the death of the perfect lamb, the sacrifice of God's lamb, sin is not covered, sin is removed. And we have victory over we have victory over the curse. Listen to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The demands that God gave Moses, the law, we could not keep. Paul says, with the law came the knowledge of sin, because I can't live up to this. No man can live above reproach. And so God didn't come to just push the law aside. He came to fulfill the law. And he took the record of dead and those that would find life in him. His death counts on our behalf. It's why we thank him for the blood. It's why we see song, sing songs about it. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. By your stripes, I am healed. And so hope came from God to man. He came to us because we could not come to him. We couldn't make it on our own condition. And so the process of redemption began. This is the redemption of our soul. But if you're thinking this sounds like good news, I've got better news. It's not the end of the story. It gets better than this. It gets better than life exchanged for death. Right now, we as the church are in this stage of we have received the blessing and the salvation of our soul, but we have not actualized and seen the salvation of our bodies yet. We have not received the full weight of the reward that awaits us, and so we have to look at the end. We have to look. In the end, in the end, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. 
New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Y'all, this hadn't happened since Eden. Genesis 3 to Revelation 21. This had not happened. But God had made his home again with man, never to be separated. You see, there is residue of the curse still upon us. How do I know that? Because I still have to discipline my kids. How do I know that? Because God still has to discipline me. You know how I know that? Because I see the brokenness in the world that we live in. All has not been made right. The curse is still upon the world, upon creation. There is life, but the curse, the residue of the curse remains. Listen to what he says. And I heard a loud voice from the, the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself would be with them as their God. And listen to this. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your week has been. Man, you may be great. And it may be total chaos at home. But regardless of your circumstance, I promise this verse will resonate with you. God, who has made his dwelling place with man, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more sadness, there will be no more pain. There will be no more worldwide pandemic. There will be no separation. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Death that entered from the sin in Genesis 3 will finally and completely be dealt with death will die the curse will be made no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things they gone they have passed away this text by theologians is called the great consolation that Jesus, looking back over the record of broken humanity, will finally right all the wrongs. It's not just an intangible idea and a hope that is found in our heart. It is actualized in our hands and feet. In the end, we are restored to right relationship. We are unhindered. We are made holy as he is holy. This is what awaits God's people. This is why it's not just sin passed from Adam, but it's hope in a coming Messiah who would provide a way for death to die through the work of Christ. And so we need to understand that hope didn't just come from God, not man. It didn't just come from God to man, but it came from God for man. It came for me and it came for you. 
You see, it's all fine and good to recognize this as a history book of the salvation of God for his people. But it's something wholly different, wholly different when we recognize that God has extended the invitation to me and to you. We are welcome in. Welcomed in. As wretched as we are, as dirty as we are, God doesn't argue all of our, all of our sufficiencies. It, he argues his substitute. He did what we couldn't do. And it is made possible that we be restored into a right relationship with God from God for us. We can be a part of the people of God. There may be times in our life where we feel like God has forgotten about us or worse, he has forsaken us altogether. That's not what we see in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. We see a God who seeks to restore. We see a God who, if you will respond in faith from the beginning, hope, right? Hope comes to us. If we would respond to the hope that we have in Christ, you too today can be restored. Ultimately, he does not long to see us destroyed. He doesn't like to see people get what they got coming to them. He likes to intervene supernaturally on their behalf. He likes to restore them. And restoration is my theme and it can be your theme today. It is for you. What God has accomplished is for us. No, the answer of this world is not found in looking back. It's not found in a throwback. It's found in looking ahead to the day when the curse will be removed forever. I don't know what you've been through. And I don't know what you lost. But there is hope that is found in the work of Christ. If you're under the sound of my voice, what I can tell you today, definitively, though I can't tell you anything about your life, I can tell you this definitively. God doesn't care about your past in as much that he sent his son to die for it. He cares about how you respond to his drawing right now. And hope, I guarantee, is made available to you today. Not just sin that's passed down, but hope that transcends this life. And with every head bowed and eye closed, the problem with looking back is the curse of sin remains. We're looking back to a time where we are still dead in our transgressions and sin. We actually want to see that day happen again? No, it is by God's grace I am what I am, so I look forward with great anticipation. I respond in the here and now because of the hope that awaits in the end. Christ has made a way for you and for me. And so if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to know that all of the theatrics, all the things that you see around you, you are the reason why. God has moved on our hearts, the hearts of this staff, the hearts of these volunteers, the hearts of this local church gathering so that you would come into a right relationship with him. Here would be my question. 
Why remain the curse of death when Christ has offered life? It's found through the humble acknowledgement that we are powerless to save ourselves and we must surrender to his lordship. And if you're here today and you desire a relationship with God, you've never done that, you, you don't know what unity with Christ feels like. Maybe you've been to church, maybe you've walked a Nile, checked a box, prayed a prayer, uh, knelt at an at a altar, all the things that we've done, but you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. My friend, hope doesn't apply to you in your current situation. But God came for man. And he came for you. Today, you can respond to the hope that's found in Jesus. How do you do that? Scripture tells us in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. So if you want to make that decision today, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to do it right here. With everybody around, I'm going to pray a prayer. and I'm going to give you an opportunity today. If you would agree your heart to God's, you would agree with the words. As I pray them, would you pray them quietly in your heart and in your mind? You don't have to do it out loud, but we are confessing Christ as the Lord of our life. We are forsaking and turning away from the curse of our sin. And we are receiving sonship, daughtership a holy God if that's you and you need to pray this prayer would you pray it with me pray dear Jesus I know that I'm a sinner I know that you sent your son to die on the cross for that sin and believing in faith faith the same faith of Adam and Eve the same faith of Abraham and Isaac in Jacob the same faith of all those who've believed but never received I believe in Christ I receive your gift of forgiveness for my sins I pray that you would come into my life that you would take over and that you would take charge And I pray that you would give me life everlasting. May the hope that you purchased be the hope that I enjoy. Thank you for salvation. Now give me the boldness to take next steps with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. With every head and heart still bowed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know the heaven, the angels in heaven are throwing a party. Man, they are ecstatic about your new life in Christ. But the enemy is also working. And so in just a moment, everything's been fine and good because it's been in the quietness of your own heart. But in a moment, I'm about to ask you to do something. I'm about to ask you to respond in a real way, in a tangible way, in a physical way. 
And I just want you to know how the enemy's going to work. He's going to tell you not to move. He's going to tell you to deal with it later. But I would tell you today is the day of salvation. And Jesus would say, if you are ashamed of me among men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. So maybe you would pray for boldness and strength. Because as a new starting out baby in Christ, your relationship with God has just begun. Christ desires to mature you and to grow you. And so we have counselors that are in the back of the room. In just a moment, what I'm going to ask is if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you received the hope of salvation and life with God forever. If you did that, I want you to testify to that fact by getting out of your seat, by finding one of these aisles, walking back to the room, and these counselors will meet you. You don't have to walk up awkwardly to one, trying to pick which one. They will make sure that you are taken care of. If you would respond to what Christ has done for you, y'all, you've passed from death to life. We want to know about it. We want to help walk with you. We want to encourage you. But it's going to take your obedience and your response. And so on the count of three, if you've made that decision, nobody looking around, if you made that decision, I would ask that you would get up from your seat. I would ask that you would find an aisle and I ask that you would find someone in the back. Just make your way to the back of the room and let somebody know about what Christ has done in you. All right, on the count of three. On the count of three, I want you to do it. Father, give them boldness, give them strength to respond as your spirit leads in this time. May this be the first act of their obedience in their new life with you. One, two, three. Would you get up if that's you and you've made a decision for Christ? Would you just respond? Would you stand to your feet? Would you find an aisle? Would you find someone in the back that would love to talk with you, to share with you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ? If that's you and you've made that decision, would you respond? I want you to know that this invitation will continue. In just a moment, we are going to worship together again. The band is here and we will praise. But if you need to act, you need to respond. I pray that you would do so. Take this moment and allow God to move you, to change you. Listen, if you need to make some other response, I want you to know that you can do that. You can let us know on the connect card. But man, if you need salvation, do not let this moment slip by without doing business with the Lord. Father, we are so thankful for your presence. We're two or more gathered. You're in our midst. So God, in light of your word, May us, may we live differently. God, we thank you for our new life. And God, as we celebrate that, I pray for one that still needs to respond to you. May they do it before it's everlasting too late. Father, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.